0: Mythical Odysseys of Theranos, mystic.
1: Mystic Iliads of Thanos.
0: We only got half this book. The other half was destroyed, (laughs) snapped out of existence. Who knows if we got the good half?
1: We got the good half. A dangerous polis in New York City. I'm your host Shane, and I'm your host ishan and welcome to episode two fifty-five of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're reviewing the newest release for Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons,
0: Mythic Odysseys of Theros. We'll walk you through it, digital cover to digital cover, and let you know whether it's worth adding to your collection. The world is on fire, both from from climate change and the way it is run terribly here in the united states uh but hey if you want to read a read some interesting stuff some cool stuff uh, mike Pondsmith over at r games has a new post up titled cops and racists uh if you don't know him uh he is one of the minds behind The classic game, Cyberpunk, uh, Cyberpunk 2077, you know, the dystopian future where you've got, you know, hackers and uh, a state that controls everything that people does. And there's a panopticon. And, you know, he just has a few uh, suggestions about what the police should be uh, actually doing in terms of like reform and defunding. And then also he, you know, has an admonition. Remember, the cyberpunk future is a warning, not an aspiration. Whether we hear the warning is up to you so uh link in the show notes go ahead and check that out it's a cool read
1: mike pondsmith is one of the very few black game designers who has been in this industry since the 90s right like he's a he's a long tenured member of this industry
0: so i don't know maybe listen to him <laughs> yeah <laughs> he,
1: he probably has some good ideas about our industry and also about being black
0: tune in tomorrow twitch.tv slash gods for the actual definite absolutely finale of Castle Amber.
1: This is the real one.
0: It definitely is. It has it has to be because I used all my spells because I thought the last two sessions were going to be the finale. So I was just like, woo, woo.
1: I I hedged. I still have a couple left, but I, I am out of real time to spend Fridays doing this. So. <laughs> Aram, our editor is the GM for this, so Aram, get us through. <laughs>
0: so uh, check it out tomorrow night on the Godsfall Twitch channel. All right, here we are. The review, cover to cover, Mythic Odysseys of Theros. Why is that name? Why is the name of this book so difficult to remember and say?
1: Uh because it's it's nothing. It's a <laughs> it's,
0: it's a claptrap of random words that have to do with myths and gods and stories.
1: It's Greek, right? It's just Greek. Uh I don't think you can hear that title and wonder that it's not based on Greek. But this is the fifth campaign setting book from wizards of the coast for fifth edition uh follows up sword coast adventurer's guide the guild master's guide to ravnica eberron rising for the last war and the explorer's guide to Wildmount. uh this is the second of our settings that are based on magic the gathering crossovers um, this is from the set uh that was released in 2013 uh, and as mentioned, it takes its inspiration pretty much entirely from ancient Greece.
0: Would we say inspiration or would we say, say steals wholesale and just changes proper nouns?
1: It does a lot of that. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, I mean, it posits a world in which ancient Greece is the whole world. An eensy-weensy world. Uh, yeah, very small world. It really does file off a lot of serial numbers from Greece um, and you know, surrounds it with cool art. Because it's magic, mostly for magic cards,
0: right? <laughs> uh, yeah, if uh, you took a Latin class in high school, uh, or you've, you're just into you know cool mythology, then you basically already know most of the lore in this book. But you know, w- we'll get into it. Let's start at the beginning. The cover, Hydra's, Hydra's. Both covers are cool. Two covers, right? So there's a cover from Jason Rainville uh, that shows uh, some heroes fighting a Hydra. It's a pretty dope Hydra. Uh in the middle of a city, which is obviously where you want to have most of your battles, your big set pieces. But the alternate cover, I I really like the alternate cover.
1: Yeah, so the alternate cover is following the same style of like kind of having um like a foil sort of feeling to it, right? Like uh like those those Hydra 74 covers for the earlier books had where um it's it's meant to have a different look and feel um this one is actually more focused on the gods looking down on a hero battling a hydra um and sort of like within it's the perspective i think of nyx which is the, the realm of the gods in the sky um it's cool it's really cool it's definitely a departure from the other alternate covers that were created by hydra 74 though like the thing it shares is it will have the foil
0: Right, so it won't necessarily match on a bookshelf, but so this is art by Kevin Tong, and it feels so like fourth world Jack Kirby to me. I I love it. Like it is, it is bright and like it's like a kaleidoscope
1: of colors. Well, let's talk about this uh, bookshelf for, for a hot <laughs> second, because if you want to add it to your bookshelf, you cannot do that right now. We're Not reviewing yet. this book in exclusively digital form because it was released on D and D Beyond uh last week and will not be released in physical form until July
0: and you know we're talking about the covers but you got to dig deep into D&D Beyond even just just to find the covers so you're not really going to be able to enjoy it for another
1: month yeah like this is this is weird right like yeah from from the company that wouldn't do any digital support for a long time to now like releasing first on digital and then releasing it in physical is like pretty big departure
0: i do wonder if it's going to eat into their book sales because you're going to have a lot of people who you know are sort of chomping at the bit for this and want it a month earlier and they'll just buy it on dnd beyond and then probably not buy it hardcover
1: so they've done the same thing right where they have the game store exclusive the um the shiny covers the game game store version and then the kind of more classic D style is the mass market um barnes and noble amazon thing so They've done that to kind of help protect their local game stores. I'm guessing that what they've seen is that that LGS market is pretty stable, right? You buy the collector's version because you collect the book and you don't if you don't care. And they care less about Amazon than they do about getting this in the hands of more people. And they're putting that out at the same price as Amazon on digital, um, supporting their digital partner i know we'll never see the sales i guess if they continue to do that you'll know that this was a big boon for their sales
0: yeah it also could be that you know they didn't they don't expect everyone to rush out and buy this right it's not an adventure path um it's not like a uh an ip that everybody has been clamoring for it's just sort of you know a, a relatively interesting new setting book that people who already love will definitely go out and get, and you know, if you were gonna be the person who's gonna buy the hardcover anyway, it doesn't really matter when it comes out, you're gonna get it. All right, so let's not get into the actual book. First off, there's an introduction to the world, Theros, which is just ancient Greece.
1: This is a, a world in which the gods were born of belief. That's what empowers them. Um, you know, the massive mortals have created the gods and their belief of those gods has shaped who they are. They are now entrenched in power. Uh, you know, that belief is not so shakable, is not so fast moving, they can disappear. Um, and it is, that's uh,
0: it. It. It's the warp. Uh, <laughs> it's, we created the chaos gods into existence. It's Planescape. You know, belief <laughs> becomes reality. Although, yeah, like you said, not as quickly as it happens in Planescape.
1: There are three planes. There is, you know, Theros, the material plane, the world that we're on, uh, Nix, the sky realm of the gods, and then the underworld, which is, you know, Hades. Both fate and destiny,
0: which are real tangible things in this world. uh, Most people are bound by fate. Uh, They're destined. They are going to live out a relatively quiet existence. Other people uh, are chosen by destiny and will become heroes who defy, you know, dull and, and boring fate
1: the whole definition of a hero is one who flouts predetermination that's what you have to do you have to resist destiny in order to become a hero
0: and then the connection of of pcs and npcs like people in the world of theros to like all of this mythology and the gods is basically like there are archetypal heroes who aren't necessarily in the way that the greeks had named right like you had you know perseus and uh, you know Ach- achilles who did deeds that were necessarily attributed to them. In Theros, you have archetypes like the slayer and the philosopher who uh, are usually unnamed and probably a conglomeration of different deeds done by different people in the distant past. This does a couple of things. One, it it means that you can sort of place yourself into that uh, ideal, or, or you can even say like my character's ancestor was the person who did this particular deed. It also means that the... The person who did the deed can be a woman, can be non-binary, can be not necessarily like Greek. They don't have to look like a, a typical Greek, right? They are an archetype, not a specific person. And then that really opens up the inclusivity of these myths.
1: A lot of the art is multi I guess, is, is how you would kind of look at it. They don't look like typical Greeks exclusively, right? Like this is a setting that has, you know, two brothers and, and one of them has dark skin, the other has fair skin.
0: Oh, interesting. I thought they were
1: lovers uh that is the companion art that is their like archetype or whatever <laughs> their uh
0: lifelong companion yeah lifelong companion yeah, uh-huh.
1: is their is their type so uh they were yeah they were they were joint kings uh they founded one of the city states
0: one of the city states it does basically athens right
1: it's melitus melitis yeah athens
0: <laughs> yeah it seems like they basically took um everyone that you could have seen in like the actual Roman Empire, not um, not Alexander's uh, Greek Empire, and said that all of these kinds of people could appear here in this tiny world of Theros, which I think is certainly much better than having just everybody be, you know, traditionally Greek from 400 BC.
1: Yeah, unless you want sort of a Japanese samurai flavor, in which case you're a lion. But yeah, <laughs> I guess I guess we'll get no. to that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we will. Ugh. Okay, so world history. Um, in the long long ago the world was ruled by archons who were sort of like lawful neutral celestial primordials mhm uh and then the the two uh joint warrior kings uh overthrew the archons and then thus began the age of heroes
1: aided by the gods that the that mortals created they founded the Poles, Poles, whatever plural city-states. polis,
0: f- the poleis <laughs>
1: Um, and now, like, we have epics that tell little bits of that history. Like you said, it's, it's sort of the um, telling the archetypes of the heroes. So the Iliad or the Odyssey are basically there, except instead of being the story of Achilles and the story of Odysseus, they are the story of the slayer. They are the story of the philosopher.
0: Yeah, and they just, they just rename them, uh, and there's one other that are basically the tales of Hercules um, and his labors and, and ordeals, things right. like that. Not, uh, not the Aeneid. Well. Sorry, Latin kids.
1: Heracles, you know.
0: If you're like us, this is the part you've been waiting for. Chapter one is Character Creation. So first up, you get a heroic drive. Um, it's basically basically an additional ideal or an ideal that can replace uh, one of the ones you already have based on the deity that you worship. And there's really no reason not to worship a deity
1: in Theros. It's almost required. <laughs> like, your gameplay is, and this is something that I think is weird about how they've laid out these um, chapters, is like, They don't explain piety yet. They don't explain what you do yet as characters, but yet they throw these options out here and they're like, you definitely want one of these drives. We'll tell you why later. You basically have to tie yourself to a deity or you are defining your character by explicitly not believing that deities are worth worship that's your two options otherwise you're not a champion you're not a hero you don't belong at theros
0: right and there's the one option of deities aren't worth it and then like nine other options of like hey here are the different things you can do for different deities uh
1: it also gives you legendary bonds and tragic flaws um these are basically like take whatever you have as your bond and then make part of that a god right so the person you are bound to is actually your god has taken mortal form um you know your tragic flaw is you know whatever your flaw was crank to 11 right you're not proud you have hubris uh you know you're not lazy that's dumb you are uh rash you know like take the things that can be your undoing expect that to be your story uh choose things that the gods can wheedle and manipulate you through
0: and then we come to supernatural gifts. Um, supernatural gifts show up in the Dungeon Master's Guide. They're like extra stuff that the the GM can give out. But Theros basically assumes that your PC is a hero and begins with one of these supernatural gifts. It means that Theros PCs are just baseline more powerful than uh, characters in other settings.
1: Yeah. So what's weird is is it says that you can take one of these gifts or alternatively if you have like sort of a backstory reason you can start with a feet you should i don't think any of these are feet quality <laughs> so um if you choose that feat, you better have a real good reason for it
0: <laughs> wait you're saying these are stronger or weaker than a feet oh
1: way stronger
0: oh oh yeah totally totally agree uh, i mean yeah if, uh, I, your options for the feats are like actor and observant i mean lucky i guess you could take lucky right
1: sure but one of these gives you an eighth level spell. <laughs>
0: oh in addition right not just an eighth level spell (laughs) right (laughs) right all right so let's go through them uh there's anvil rot which basically means you become a construct or you you are a construct you were you were built at some point it gives you all the great stuff where you don't have to sleep uh eat breathe
1: you're immune to disease um you have advantage on saves versus being poisoned um and you can do like the uh the you know, power down version of sleep rather than actually sleeping, so you're not unconscious.
0: Right, you basically get a trance ability. Yeah. That's on top of whatever your race might be, right? So you can be an anvil rot, whatever, elf or minotaur.
1: One of the cool ones that I I really like and I think is a good just default option, um, I think this this should almost just be default for the game, is heroic destiny. Um, It makes you tougher to kill, right? You have a purpose, so you are more likely to be able to complete that purpose. You get advantage on death-saving throws, and when you're reduced to zero hit points but not killed, you can instead drop to one hit point uh, once per long rest. So you stay in the fight. You don't just succumb.
0: Yeah, again, this just stacks with with other stuff, right? If you're playing a, a half-orc or something like that. the Great, now you have two of them. Yep. Then Iconoclast is the... Uh, character who rejects the gods and uh, basically says you know what i am uninterested in you know fealty or piety or or things like that so you get some abilities where you can sort of um slough off the the magic of the gods you can cast dispel magic eventually dispel evil and good and then like you mentioned eventually you can just cast anti-magic field
1: yeah I mean, but keep in mind because you're not getting like you have no purpose for faith, right? so you're not getting those benefits of faith, so this this is taking your supernatural gift and your faith
0: into one ability right. you don't get the piety rewards, which we'll talk about later.
1: then there's the inscrutable who is um you know like a like a finx. you can't really be like um flummoxed you're you're strong of mind, so you get resistance to psychic damage um and you are immune to an effect that allows other creatures to sense your emotions or read your thoughts um you've got uh, you grant disadvantage on um insight checks to read your thoughts
0: lifelong companion as we mentioned is one of these supernatural gifts uh you have another person who may be a pc there may be uh, another hero maybe they're an npc uh who you're basically bonded to either through blood or love or something like that uh it gives all of your allies within five feet of you advantage on saving throws versus frightened charmed yeah frightened or charmed uh and then you uh, can basically take a hit uh for an ally who's adjacent to you
1: (laughs) yeah this one sucks
0: (laughs) it does (laughs) i know uh
1: you get uh you can get Nyxborn, which is just great um you get resistance to necrotic and radiant damage because you are born of the gods um, so their damage types, right, don't hurt you as much. Uh, and then you get Cloak of Stars. So as an action, once prolonged rest, you can just grant disadvantage on attacks against you for a minute, which makes you immune to sneak attack and all types of other things.
0: Oracle means you're able to uh, tell the future and you, uh, it, your ability is, uh, of course, related to the divine in some way. So your abilities are dependent upon your piety rather than your level. Uh, So at low levels, you're able to cast Augury as a ritual, then Divination, then uh, Commune, and uh, you can't be surprised. And then eventually, uh, you can increase uh, your Intelligence or Wisdom score by two as well as the maximum, which is the equivalent of a very rare magic item.
1: Yeah, so that's basically you have a double piety track, uh, which is super strong. (laughs) Uh, Especially if you happen to be a Wisdom-based character, you could potentially have 24 Wisdom.
0: Pious just means you have a strong connection to a particular deity. You can re-roll a saving throw once a day. You have an advantage on religion checks uh, pertaining to your god. And you start with a piety of three rather than a piety of one, which, eh, I mean, it puts you two sessions ahead of everybody else sort of permanently.
1: Yeah, I take it back. This is actually the worst.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Really? Because the next one's unscarred. Uh, Once per short rest you roll, you can subtract the damage you take by d12 plus your con mod And that's it.
1: Okay. All right. Well, in (laughs) fairness, I misread that and I thought it was just as a reaction. I didn't know that was once per short rest. That's truly bad. (laughs) Um, The unscarred is actually an awesome idea, though, which is just like that makes you Achilles. Right. Right, (laughs) Right? Except
0: unfortunately, it doesn't make you Achilles. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
1: Except Achilles, except it was shoot him twice was actually the problem. (laughs) It wasn't his heel. It was just twice. (laughs) Double tap. All
0: right, let's get into the races because there are several new races and they they're swingy. There's
1: several reprinted races. There's two new races.
0: All right, so first up we have the Centaur. Is this exactly the same as the Centaur that we had before? It's Fey, it's medium size. Yep. Yeah. It is
1: the it is the Centaur from uh Ravnica.
0: Yeah. Strength plus 2, wisdom plus one nothing really changes here it's it's pretty good you have a charge attack you have a hose attack you have a higher carrying capacity and you you know get some extra skills the big thing is that you are fey so you are untargeted or unaffected by things like hold person uh dominate person but it it, i think it it introduces some interesting effects with banishment and dispel magic and good
1: yeah especially in a world that has none of those planes (laughs) right so where do you go Uh, The next up is Leonin. These are your lion folk. Um, They live on a uh, savanna out between the city states. And they get plus two con, plus one uh, strength. They get a 35-foot base speed and dark vision. Um, They get a natural claw attack, proficiency in athletics, intimidation, perception, or survival, which basically means you get a free proficiency because I think every character takes one of those. Um, or at least every class has one of those on its skill list. Uh, and then their main ability is Daunting Roar, which is just bad. Like, it's a 10-foot radius wisdom save uh, that scales on your constitution. And it frightens uh, enemies or creatures of your choice until the end of your next turn. Like, it's and it's once per short rest. It's it's just bad.
0: Yeah. I mean, the only thing it has going for it is that it's a bonus action. So if you have nothing else to do, you're like, fine, I guess I'll roar. But Leonin in general is not a good race mechanically
1: i I mean because con is a bad base right like doing plus two con is like cool i get hit points but like i'm bad at the things that i should be good at like no one is good at scaling con so
0: it's 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 also boring any of this plus strength plus con races are mostly boring because then also their flavor is almost always like proud and noble warrior (laughs) well (laughs) here we are (laughs)
1: there's always one
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh we get a minotaur
1: yep which is identical to ravnica which yeah. is not good
0: and again plus strength plus con uh and you have natural weapons because you're an animal person um, um and then yeah. you know intimidation or persuasion that's basically it the Satter though oh my god the Satter is amazing
1: Satter is satyr is uh, satyr too is too powerful yeah, <laughs> so it's it's plus charisma, plus dex, which unfortunately make opens it up to all of the classes that are problems. Um, it has a 35-foot base speed. It is a fey creature type, which comes with those benefits that you mentioned. Uh, it gets a natural attack and a bonus to jump distance. It gets proficiency in performance and persuasion and an instrument, uh, but none of that matters because <laughs> all that matters here is magic resistance, a thing that you can't even get from a feat, you can get a watered-down version from a feat, um, but grants you advantage on saves for spells and magic effects. It this is, isn't.
0: This is an epic boon. This is. That's the only way that you get it, aside from a high-level magic item.
1: Yeah, and like this is the kind of thing that you throw on monsters and increase their CR by two, <laughs> right? right? Like they're just stronger. So like, cool. Yeah, if you need a charisma character or a dex character, take sadder. Um, keeping in mind as well, like most of the php options are rather limited in theros right like to play true to theros you wouldn't necessarily have um all the decks based and all the charisma based uh races that are available elsewhere
0: which means power gamers you have an excuse to pick Satter because if you can do it uh, and then we get the triton which we've seen before Um, although I think there was an addition, they now have dark vision, so they can actually see at the bottom of the ocean.
1: Oh, I missed that. That's great. (laughs) I've ignored, I've ignored Tritons for so long that I had forgotten they had that, that foolishness. I will say they got upgraded art. The Tritons in this look dope. (laughs) Oh, way better.
0: Yeah. We only have one piece of Triton art, I think, before, and they look terrible. I can't tell if these, like, fin things on their head are part of their heads or they're just mask armor, but they look amazing.
1: Yeah, they are, uh... They, they remind me more of merfolk than they do of just, like, blue humans. Um, right. But they're they're cool. Um, the all right, of blue these, human paladins. Yeah. <laughs> all of these feed into the new subclasses, um, which are Bard, College of Eloquence. Uh, this is, you know, every Bard college does something different with its inspiration, right? Like, it, it gets some specialization on inspiration. Um, the College of Eloquence is that it sticks around longer is basically its move.
0: Yeah, if uh someone uses an inspiration die uh and fails on the ability check or you know, whatever it is they're they're trying to affect with it, they just keep the inspiration die.
1: Third level, um, you'll get uh reliable talent for your persuasion or deception checks. Uh that's
0: that's amazing. Like third level.
1: Uh yeah. You can't roll less than ten on I, persuasion I would, or deception. I would
0: dip for that because I mean, you know, third level Bard gets you so many other things too, but on any character that wants to lie or perform, th- this seems like a no-brainer to me.
1: Well, yeah, but then at third level as well, you also get unsettling words, which right. lets you use bardic inspiration to reduce a the target's next saving throw by your bardic inspiration die. So, like, that's a huge debuff to target monsters with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that like that that's crazy. Like minus eight <laughs> on a saving throw. Like, cool, F- fire away, you know. Um, granted you gotta line that up because it uh it has to make the saving throw before the start of your next turn but still it's a bonus action it's easy to use um level six as you said um unfailing inspiration if you fail a saving throw or if you fail the check that you use a bardic inspiration on you keep the die Um, Uh, so it goes further
0: and then also at six you get a ribbon ability universal speech which i love as an action choose a bunch of creatures and now they can understand you for an hour that's always been my problem is like with uh, so many performance based abilities, it's like, Oh, they have to be under, uh, be able to understand what language uh, you're speaking. Well, now it means you're a better diplomat, right? Like you can talk to whomever in Atlantis or Olanton or whatever they call it here. Uh, because like you speak every language or, or people, people get the words that you're saying because you are some sort of universal bard.
1: And then at 14th level you get infectious inspiration. If somebody uses your Bardic Inspiration die and succeeds, then you can use your reaction to give Bardic Inspiration to another character um, up to Charisma times per day, and it doesn't use one of your original Bardic Inspiration dice. So you basically get two pools of Bardic Inspiration. One is Bardic Inspiration, the other is Infectious Inspiration, and you get just more uses of Bardic Inspiration in a day. Bards don't typically have a lot of use for their reaction other than counterspell anyway, and strong but kind of lame.
0: Yeah, the low-level stuff makes eloquence, I think, a a very good option for bards. Unfortunately, the Paladin's Oath of Glory, I wanted to really like. I love the idea of it. I don't find it good.
1: No. Uh, So Paladins are measured by their auras, and this is going to be a problem.
0: Also, it's terrible that they, they change up the mechanics of the aura that every other paladin has.
1: Okay, we'll, we'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Starts with spells. Uh you do get haste, protection from energy and flame strike, which are all good and interesting things for a paladin to have
0: and then you get a peerless athlete as a bonus action for your channel divinity uh you get advantage on athletics and acrobatics checks for 10 minutes and you increase your carrying capacity and then long and high jumps increase by 10 feet this is i mean this is nice for like uh, our combat this time is a challenge where we're in the olympics and you know i'm just gonna best everybody
1: yeah Um, But what you're really here for is Inspiring Smite. So after you deal damage with Divine Smite, you can use your channel Divinity as a bonus action and give Temp HP to um, creatures of your choice uh, within 30 feet of you. Uh, The problem is that it is 2d8 plus your class level, and that scales very, very poorly as you get higher.
0: I mean, it is nice that you can divide it as you choose. The problem with, like, Blanket Temp HP is so often many of them are wasted because only one person got hit, but... Right. Yeah. Aura of Alacrity. Your seventh level aura <laughs> makes everyone in your aura faster. Their uh, speed increases by ten feet mm-hmm. uh, for a turn. But this mm-hmm. only affects allies who are adjacent to you. They've got to mm-hmm. start their turn within five feet of you.
1: If they start next to you. They run away faster.
0: It's the worst aura. <laughs> what is even the point of it? Who cares that much about speed? I mean, I mean, wi- wizards places such a huge um barrier to increasing movement speed uh or getting fly speeds or god what's the what's the oh it used to be um increasing strength right like a plus two strength meant you had to have like a minus two to intelligence to balance it out because strength is so powerful Mm -hmm. and now everyone knows it's charisma of course
1: right (laughs) that's dex (laughs) uh i yeah i don't know at 18th level it becomes a 10 foot aura which still like you're a paladin you're in the front line already like how are you really helping the mobility of your group if you're in the face of the biggest monster in the fight Uh, what you're helping other people run to other problems like you should be drawing people into you right into you that's the value that you would add so you're you're if they can end their turn within five or ten feet of you, they should get the bonus to speed. That makes sense. what the what are you doing at eighteenth level, your aura
0: increases. your crappy aura increases to the size of every other paladin's third level aura
1: right. Yes, which, and also and, and their auras <laughs> are amazing. <laughs> and also it does nothing for your saving throws <laughs> it, like doesn't help you against fear doesn't I mean, help and, you and, against spell damage it doesn't do anything of the good ones
0: that's the other <laughs> issue is like you still get your aura protection like you know increase to saving throws but then you have a different aura that's not the same size you have to keep right. track of two sized auras it's so dumb <laughs>
1: stay close but run away lose my aura what <laughs> which <laughs> one which aura are you talking about that is this is such a backwards ability so backwards it doesn't fit the flavor of oath of glory it doesn't fit the like value of fifth edition combat like i i th- i don't i don't know how they did this i don't understand it either
0: all right at, le- at level 15 uh when uh, a creature you can see uh within 10 feet of you fine uh gets hit you can use your reaction to give them a, a bonus to ac Equals uh, to you cool. your charisma modifier. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So this is a shield spell you can share.
0: Of course, they have to be close to you, but you know they've run away from you because they're so fast.
1: Uh, well, that's <laughs> yes. Again, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> why that aura is backwards. This ability is great. Period. Because you're gonna want people clustered around you. You're a paladin. Um, that, that I think it's fantastic. Um, and then the other thing is, if it misses, you get a free attack, which gives you an off turn smite, which is super powerful. So fifteenth level ability, spot on.
0: And then your 20th level capstone, it is nice that it is a bonus action. Most of these abilities are an action, which means you're wasting an entire round of double smiting. Uh, you get advantage on charisma checks, and then once on a turn when you miss with a weapon attack, you can just hit, which is actually really great. You're not rerolling it. You're just saying, I hit, yep. uh, which is, gives you one of those situations where uh, you, know, you sort of like uh, lean into your piety and say, I'm actually going to close my eyes. I want disadvantage on this because i want to miss because otherwise i'm not sure that i can actually hit this deity right (laughs) but at 20th level i can and then in addition uh, if you fail a saving throw you can use your reaction to reroll it
1: what's cool about this so these capstones are typically once per long rest uh this one actually recharges with your fifth level spell slot so um you can just get it back if you would like to granted costs you an action to uh Turn it on, so it's tough to use on its own. Anyway, um, but you know it's slightly lower risk.
0: And then we get a single background athlete. You get ac- acrobatics and athletics, uh, land vehicles, which is supposed to be for chariots, which I think is a nice touch. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, you are basically a famous athlete when you go places. Pe- some people, someone will recognize you and be like, "Hey, I remember you. I put money on you at the you know hundred meter, and I'm gonna buy you drinks."
1: yeah so it's within it's a settlement within 100 miles there's a 50 percent chance which i was like huh that's not very far you know 100 miles like that's nothing and then i get to the next chapter and it's (laughs) like oh theros is 200 miles across and i'm like cool which city is in the center
0: (laughs) (laughs) it's also weird like 200 miles uh a, a marathon which which originated in greece is 26 miles like
1: well you run it in a circle now you know
0: oh of course of course (laughs) it's just like one runner can run across the known world in a week and a half
1: Yeah, we run ultra marathons in the real world. (laughs) Like like 130 something miles is like, okay, it's a few days. But
0: then you're like, oh, and nobody knows what's on the other side even further. And someone's like, I didn't want to run for two weeks.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I do know it's one way. Like you could just sail off the side of the map and go to Nix. apparently. It's 200 miles away. (laughs) But no one's heard your name.
0: (laughs) All right, next chapter is, uh, it's a pretty beefy chapter because it goes through all of the gods. And, of course, they are extremely important here in this setting.
1: Yeah, so this is the player side of the gods. Uh, the next chapter will cover the... or uh, uh, A later chapter will cover the DM side of the gods. Um, but, yeah, so this is gods of Theros. They're basically your Greek gods there's an explanation of what greek gods mean uh, more or less that kind of leads the introduction if you're not familiar with greek mythology and, and sort of how the gods interact with mortals
0: and then it talks about how the gods interact with humans uh and other mortals and then how they interact with each other they're usually fighting which of course is is just greek gods
1: yeah it, it, the, the thing to keep in mind here is like you know clerics or heroes champions tend to be devoted to single gods but most people sort of pray to whatever God is relevant within the Pantheon, you know, but they're not really resisting their destiny and and they're accepting fate as it is anyway. Um, It does make a note that parties do not have to worship the same God kind of lets you figure that out for yourself um, as to why your party came together. Uh, And then it notes that um, champions are chosen by gods, not by mortals um, and mortals don't have to consent to that. So you could be a character who was chosen for your valor in combat um, but be serving the god of valor in combat against your will. Uh, there are fifteen
0: new gods. Um, we don't need to go through all of them because they—they they are your Greek gods. Heliod, god of the sun. Not. <laughs> yep. Helios. Sure. All right. Uh, there's a lot of like uh, homage type names. Um, you know, there's a god of destiny. There's a god of deception. It—it's it, basically your your forgotten
1: realms. Yeah. There's you know your. <laughs> your hero your god of victory your uh Nilea, god of the hunt like also there's a weird thing where they have called them all god but then they gender them in the text so their title is god but they have gender and you have to go read to figure out which one is a god and which is a goddess cool cool none of them are non-gendered why did they ungender one word and not the actual character? I don't understand they didn't do it for space because there's
0: enough room to fit goddess anywhere they needed yeah, to. yeah
1: no it's it just makes it harder to reference I they, uh, half a statement half inclusion
0: yeah, even something about like you know mortal uh gods don't necessarily adhere to mortal ideas of uh, of gender you know this this could be fluid uh some some of them have like very specific gender identities and others don't but there's anything like that. I mean Apollo kept turning into like flowers and you know Zeus was like hey hey you know what you know what uh you know what ladies like bulls and swans and golden <laughs> <Yeah>. showers <laughs> like literal showers of gold not not the things that you not, dirty not people think not the of. thing
1: that Trump likes <laughs> All
0: right then we get piety the piety system that has been referenced so many times before it actually shows up in the book Uh-huh This is just Ravnica's renowned system right Reskin. Uh, yeah
1: this is they took the DMG renown, they ported it to Ravnica for factions, now they've ported it into Theros for piety. It's the same, you know, benefits at level 3, benefits at level 10, benefits at level 25, benefits at level 50.
0: You pick a god, uh, this is the one that I'm worshipping, that gives you a piety of 1 when you first start your character, and then basically every session you probably get one more piety if you've done something to like advance your god's agenda, but it's basically assumed that you are going to gain one piety per session.
1: It gives you the information you need about the god to pick which one you want to worship, kind of gives you some information about that, Um, suggested alignments, classes and backgrounds for what typical champions might look like, Um, all the, you know, (laughs) flavor tables uh, so you can get favor and ideals based on your god. Um, descriptions of how you might earn or lose piety with that god and then the big list of benefits
0: yeah i mean i do like that they they sort of call out reasons you might lose piety but it it does feel a little bit like we're sort of inching back toward you know uh pre fourth edition paladins where you just need you don't need to worry about like violating your god's edicts. you need to worry about violating the edicts that your gm thinks are your gods right Right. So you really need to get on the same page there to make sure that you're not losing piety for doing things that you think are really in character. Oh, and if you change gods, uh you're just screwed. You started a piety one.
1: Yeah, right. Your devotion to another god means nothing to the new god who has wooed you to their side. Which means there is no reason to switch gods. Yeah. Like Well, there are because some of the gods just kinda of suck. <laughs> actually. <laughs> so who cares if you're about your piety if you're you're getting lousy abilities? Um, all of them like have the same rough structure so at three piety you get roughly the equivalent of a first level spell not everybody gets that right like it's not always as simple as just getting a spell but it's something roughly akin to that uh 10 you get roughly a third level spell Um 25 is like a weird band um new abilities you might get advantage on certain checks you you know might get something that triggers on a shorter or long rest Um, I think some of them give you a spell as well I can't really I don't remember that specifically Uh, but then 50 the capstone is the reason you're here right like it's the reason you don't give up your god you just get to increase one of two abilities uh, ability scores you know up to and increase your maximum so you can go up to 22 or or up to 24 if you're um, uh, an oracle.
0: Right, this is basically the uh, epic destinies of 4th edition. Like, basically all of them gave you uh, plus 2 to 2 scores. Um, This one is plus 2 to 1, but you have to choose between two that are offered by the gods. So this is sort of the situation where you have to be like, all right, what class am I playing? What do I want to increase at, like, level 16 when I hit 50 piety? Uh, And plan ahead, which I kind of hate.
1: Yeah, there's... (sighs) yes (laughs) yes <laughs> um, especially when they don't naturally align right like um, right. like one example like Nylea the goddess of the hunt um, or, or the goddess of nature I, uh, I, how could you possibly keep them apart it's the goddess of the hunt um, but like so barbarian fits right like barbarian is a natural fit for a goddess of the hunt mm-hmm. sure um, except that you can only increase your Dex or Wisdom score by two, both of which are secondary characteristics for a Barbarian, right? Like, so, cool, I'm a Barbarian, I'm fitting the theme, but I'm actually kind of getting punished if I stick with this god the whole way. Like, that sucks. Right,
0: and getting punished for not, like, looking ahead in the book and, and planning your character out long before you've actually done anything with the character and know what, like, the character might choose in-game. Yeah. Which kind of sucks. I mean, there are other things you need to look at too, like Athreos, the uh, god of passage who sort of like um, moves people on to the afterlife. Like, one of the ways you can lose piety is by removing wealth from a corpse. (laughs) That's looting.
1: Yeah, you can never loot. You have to leave them alive and rob from the living and then kill them.
0: Right. You have to disarm them of all their valuables and then kill them. (laughs) Like... (laughs) Thieves are you, cool. You have to grave bring them back not. to life. Take their stuff and then kill them.
1: Right. <laughs> um. So I will say, like, each of these deity entries comes with like their areas of influence and the myths and things related to those gods. Like the myths are interesting. I mean, they're stuff that's pretty familiar. You know, if you yeah. remember any Greek mythology, but like it is helpful to just have it translated into Theros speak. Uh, I guess like it's probably inspirational for kids who haven't gotten to ninth grade English <laughs> class yet. Um, but otherwise, like you, you probably remember this um, or at least remember the rough structure of it.
0: Yeah, this is one of those situations where, uh, you know, you have myths to, to draw from, to put in your backstory. But if you do know Greek myth, you can also just at the table be like, ah, what was uh, I want to do like an Orpheus type thing. Who is, what's the name, his name here in this setting and someone else who actually has read this book and just tell you and you can integrate it. You know, you don't yeah. necessarily have to draw from all of these tables.
1: And then just a weird note, the forge and grave domains are used um, by Atheros, the god of passage and Perforos, the god of the forge. But those are not reprinted here, so they're only in um, Xanathar's Guide, which would make them not Adventures League legal because it wouldn't be PHB plus one. So, get wrecked AL players who <laughs> want to play perforus or Atheris in Adventures League.
0: Maybe if you complain loudly, they'll change something.
1: Or I, I don't know; they might not even be running an Adventures League season for this, given the COVID and everything else
0: all right next chapter the realms of gods and mortals as you said shane the known world is 200 miles across which comes with its own issues
1: yeah so <laughs> whatever ignore that it's greece right it's greece except only the parts you've heard of <laughs> so akros is sparta uh meletis is athens um Setessa is the island of the amazons in uh, wonder woman which bonus points if you remember the name of that i don't it's themaskira You you get the bonus points. Um, Like literally they're Amazons. They kick out the men. It's fine. Um, There is Oreskos, which is the grasslands on which the Leonin live. There's Skophos, which is the Minotaur city state. That is the great rival to Akros. So guess which state that is. Um, And then there is Phoboros, which is a badlands that separates Skophos and Akros. It's the home of Minotaur outcasts and generally bad stuff.
0: You have the Siren Sea and the Dakra Islands in the middle of the ocean, Nyx, the home of the gods, and then the underworld, which is where everybody goes when they die. So there are some good parts and some not so good parts.
1: Yeah. You've got your Elysium Fields and then you've got your hmm, <laughs> your Sisyphean Trials, if you will.
0: Yeah. You got your Tartarus over here. And that's it. That's the whole
1: world. So short and sweet uh, should be easy to keep in your head. Not a lot of room to like pull in other elements from other places, right? Like you might be able to sneak elves into Scophos, or you might be able to fit you know orcs into um, Phoboros sorry, I guess you would put elves in Cetessa. Uh I can't keep these names apart. You might put your orcs into Skofos or Phoboros, something like that. Uh, or maybe they would live on the grasslands with the Leonin, like w- whatever. But like, there's not a lot of room and they're definitely not going to have a lot of cultural history to draw from. They're, they're just going to be kind of following the cultural history of whatever place you pick and they're going to look different.
0: Yeah, Theros is definitely a setting where like you should just play it as it's written. I wouldn't recommend too much reskinning because it it's tight in terms of the places that you can go and the things that you can do. Yeah. Next chapter, creating Theros adventures.
1: This starts out with a with a pretty clear disclaimer that Theros is about God-based adventures. If you don't want to play with deities running your life, do not play Theros. (laughs) Like the assumption of the setting is you will be serving and interacting and dealing with gods. They will ruin your day from time to time. They will give you quests and burdens that you have to deal with. That's the game.
0: Yeah, I like that they call this out, and I like that they then give you some advice on like how to handle that in your game. Right. So here you get, uh, this is what you were talking about. This is the, basically the GM explanation of the gods it goes through all of the gods again talks about who their champions might be who they might select what kind of quest they might send them on how to structure a campaign and then what kind of blessings like actual blessings from the dng that they might give their champions
1: um it also offers uh five frameworks for why an adventuring party might come together in theros uh this to me is the biggest stretch of this setting like this is where you see the D and the magic the gathering really rubbing against each other uh, so the first one is serving two or more masters. And the advice is figure out why you're all come together.
0: <laughs> so, like, <laughs> why would these two gods be working together?
1: Yeah. I don't know. Figure it out.
0: Probably a golden apple.
1: <laughs> yeah. There are some good ones um, like divine coalition, which is the idea that several gods are uniting their champions against some common threat. I think that's pretty straightforward or, you know, against another coalition of gods. Uh, friendly cooperation Um, just generally the gods will trade favors amongst each other so my champion will help yours today in exchange for your champion helping mine a little bit later Um, there's together by circumstance which i think is probably the most compelling um, which can then kind of evolve into one of the others like over time Um, but this is like something has happened like you are on a galley in a storm that is sinking, right? You are in a city that's under attack. You're on the same side of a war and you're forced to work together. Um, what happens?
0: Yeah, this is actually pretty decent advice, like this little section for any game where you've got a pantheon and everybody's sort of picking different gods, and you're trying to figure out why, like, you know, Lethander and mater are both interested in this one particular quest at the same time. Yeah. Then it includes villains and monsters that you can use for a particular god and information on how to use a particular god as the villain for your campaign
1: this is very important um it's mostly okay advice like i i I don't want to i don't want to like hey they really nailed this section but the fact that this section is included at all right the idea that any god can be the villain um is important because that's how the greek gods are like there's no good ones they all suck at some point some of them suck all the time (laughs) others will just kind of be a hassle you know like when it's least convenient for you
0: yeah i mean even even the good ones don't understand
1: consent (laughs) yeah and (laughs) and don't really respect their champions very much either
0: (laughs) right we get some uh, mechanical advice here on how to incorporate uh, some uh, character abilities so it talks about how a god might assist a character there's some advice about not eliminating character choice right that the god's will help you out but they won't necessarily solve your problem they won't eliminate the risk and the danger they they might tip the scales in your favor or you know uh, against you but they're they're not going to make sure that something happens
1: right uh doesn't offer an explanation for why that is but it's very good gameplay advice so definitely take that to heart they also provided a list of omens, um, advice for divinations and dreams and visions, like, um, which I think is just super good advice in general. Cause those spells mm-hmm. exist outside of Theros and it's not necessarily like super tied to Theros gods as much as it is just like, here are some ideas for how you can represent all of these augury spells and things like that, in which this should be very close and personal to a lot of your characters. We have an Oracle as a super, as a super human gift.
0: I mean, this is info that I would have liked more expanded in the DMG, right? Like, how do you handle all of these divination spells?
1: And then it gives you divine ordeals, which are basically like a process by which you request your god test you in exchange for some miracle, some gift, some magic item. Uh, First of all, you have to get to Nyx, uh, which it gives you two very specific reasons you can't just do that. Like, I don't know why. Uh, Plane shift doesn't work, and gate does work except usually they don't allow you to do it so go sail off the side of the map apparently that's how you get here
0: get a boat great <laughs> the ordeal is an interesting construct it's kind of like a a one-on-one encounter though uh, or everybody can sort of have their own idea ordeal so it sort of splits the party yeah um, I, I would have liked options where you know everybody sort of has one big ordeal and then it's just a regular encounter you know
1: it feels like a good side session idea Um, more so than like a main everybody at the table involved kind of thing yeah but it's an important piece of greek mythology so therefore it should be a piece of theros mythology so at least they acknowledge that
0: and then did you get excited when it said nautical adventures
1: did i were you still excited once you read the section (laughs) i'm look i've read a lot of nautical (laughs) adventure advice so none of this was like um None of this was a was a light bulb going off for me, right? Like I've read Stormwreck cover to cover from third edition. Like I read Ghosts of Saltmarsh. Like I'm now like I've read this. Like I don't think that's super useful for me. I think it's it's fine, right? Like um it, it covers some practical concerns, like it does a good job of of like giving you an idea of like what do you find when you sail into, like, those, like, whatever the islands are called to the south? You know, like, you find mystical islands. Like, the gods create islands out of nothing. You find places that are impossible to exist. Like, so, that sort of stuff, I think it makes sense. Um In terms of running a full campaign on a boat, not going to be using this as the basis of my pirate campaign.
0: No, I, I mean, it's uh essentially random tables of what would you find on the odyssey yeah (laughs) you know because you look through this like oh right i see uh people are turned to swine yep yep that makes sense Uh, and then on underwater adventures the next section is basically what could you find if you went to atlantis yeah and then underworld is uh following um you know orpheus and uh eurydice or uh persephone all all of those stories what kinds of things might you encounter Uh, if you go to the underworld although then there is some nice information about like things that can happen if you actually die because the underworld is a physical place that you can go to and if you die and then your soul goes there you actually might be able to leave
1: then there is an adventure called no silent secret uh pretty short for first level characters speaking
0: of people who come back from the dead it uh, begins with (laughs) a person who did come back from the dead uh who has now been killed again Uh, And the party is basically tasked with uh, finding out who did it.
1: It's a short adventure, so it is what it is. Um, But I think the story kind of overview, right? Like the the general sweep of the story fits really well.
0: Right. Uh, It pulls in multiple gods. Um, If you're going to start a group in Theros who doesn't really quite grasp how things work here or what the setting is like, just, you know, run them through this and all will be revealed.
1: Since this is going long and we have no natural break, give us a uh, one moment to run an ad in the mid-roll and we will be right back to discuss Treasures.
2: Leave behind the safety of the Humblewood and travel down the Tangrip coast to the Bay of Palooch, home to both the Kingdom of Den and the Serpent Domain. But neither hold the true power of the bay, for that lies in the sea itself and the pirate lords that call her tides their own. The Dread Pirate Captain Bluebeak, Tiberius Fang, Kin the Bladeless, and Gabrielle LaFleur, the self proclaimed Pirate Queen, each one vying for power over the very tides themselves. But do any of them really have what it takes to hold up the legacy of the Briny Bulldog? Tune in each week to find out if our little crew has what it takes to stand up to the pirates of the blood-soaked waters. Dark Fortunes is available every Monday on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Set sail for high seas adventure.
0: Alright, so Treasures, we've got eight magic items.
1: Flying Chariot. Awesome, cool, which is cool, yeah, <laughs> uh <Pyxis> of Pandemonium <laughs> less awesome <laughs>
0: it's just it's it's one of those legendary gotcha items where it's like I gave you a legendary, also it completely screws you i mean it's pandora 's box
1: uh yeah it's it's really good for you when you when you first touch it and get a free short rest <laughs> it's really bad after that,
0: yeah, absolutely not worth the short rest.
1: <laughs> I did like to see that they had uh some love paid to slings. Um, There were sling bullets of of Altheomony, Altheomony, uh, which are just magic sling bullets that add extra effects and are very limited use. And then there's the two bird sling, which lets you, if you hit a creature, then hit a creature within 10 feet as well, Uh, which I thought were very cute because this is, you know, Theros, it's Greek, it's, you know, hoplites and such. So slings are still relevant weapons
0: yeah and if you're using a sling that you've chosen to use one you should be rewarded
1: yeah exactly you're still using a sling that far take your rare sling
0: (laughs) and then we get five artifacts each tied to a different god and their abilities they have they have regular abilities and they have additional abilities based on your piety score for that particular god
1: yeah um There's also like advice and adventure hooks for like why you might introduce these into the campaign or how it might. Um, So I I like that. I thought these are relatively usable artifacts in that regard. Um, And since it ties into the Piety, that's nice. Uh, I did notice the Bow of Nylea does not have a bonus if you are Piety 50 or above, um, which all the other ones do. So I don't know if that's a typo or a deliberate choice. Right, which is disappointing
0: because I was happy to see a magic bow. You just don't get a lot of those.
1: Yeah, it's also, it's a dope bow. (laughs) (laughs) They're all plus three weapons is where it starts. They all do uh, extra damage on a hit, except for the bow of Nylea, which uh, increases your crit range.
0: All right, and then chapter six is friends and foes. We get 46 new uh, stat blocks for creatures to fight. And then a thing called mythic monsters, which we'll get to in a sec.
1: Yeah. So there's also the Nixborn monster modifier um, basically lets you modify any monster by adding magic resistance, um, or there's a table that you can roll on to add additional abilities. It doesn't give you any advice about how this changes CR, though at this point, CR is so out the window given how many different parameters increase your character's power that like, I don't know how useful it is.
0: You should be aiming for like deadly challenges anyway, because you're characters are already so strong
1: yeah deadly plus probably
0: uh in terms of the monsters here uh, s- there are things you would expect in a greek monster manual right you've got a-, a chimera you have the those archons who were mentioned before uh the the anvil rots uh construct uh, people you know you get a a little um a golden owl made of metal which mm-hmm. uh may- maybe some of you will remember from clash of the titans <laughs> harpies hippocamp giants uh, a ram some lions oracle satyrs the usual creatures yeah oh, and, and some hydras more hydras y-
1: yeah it's lots of variants of your classic mythological creatures and then um they also give you some advice for just using the classical myth- mythological creatures from the monster manual so that's kind of what shapes the full bestiary uh, i think that makes sense like you don't necessarily need to you know throw a bunch of like mind flayers into Theros, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense.
0: Right. Or have to do all the trouble of like reskinning them completely to turn them into something vaguely
1: Greek. Right. Um, what we're really here for is the actual advancement in uh 5e mechanics, which is mythic monsters. Um, so they're all high CR from 17 to 26, uh, all three of them. Right. And you say all. <laughs> yeah. What what makes them like function is they have a fight reset condition upon their death. So when they're reduced to zero, they are instead basically restored to full. Um, And then they gain uh, a different like mythic action, like basically a legendary action option or two that opens up after they trigger the mythic.
0: Right. And those actions are usually like more powerful or do more damage and you can replace one of your uh, legendary actions with them. So, I mean, it's the the Legend of Zelda, like it it sheds its skin. It's the Frieza, here's my final form thing.
1: It's bloodied it's just bloodied
0: right and and instead of just saying okay this thing has 600 hit points and when it hits half hit points it go undergoes this change they do the whole like reset thing so i think when you're eyeing a monster and being like all right how much difficult is going to be i'll look at the cr i'm taking a look at its, its attack bonus and um how many hit points does it have the hit points are they really will throw you off if you don't notice the mythic ability
1: yeah i, I mean and it does say when you use the monster like treat the encounter as fighting two cr21 monsters right because you're fighting them sequentially and they're Mm -hmm. effectively meant to be solos so that's going to be the encounter that you're planning is two 21s not 121 that has a cool ability
0: in general though i feel like the additional mythic actions don't give it enough variety to avoid your party feeling like they're just fighting the same monster all over again
1: yeah i mean like one of them gets a different victory condition right so like you stab its hearts that are revealed through its carapace instead of like you know just stabbing it wherever i guess um like the there's a one of them like it's a medusa right so like it gets the ability to force its medusa gaze upon somebody um which otherwise has to be like done as a basically a trick or a mistake right so like i don't know like that feels like it's more high powered or at least it feels like a different kind of action but to a player you already knew that gaze was going to wreck your day. Like forcing it upon them doesn't actually feel like this is a harder fight. It just feels like I got to do less in this fight.
0: Right. And I blew most of my like big abilities and spells in the first and second round of combat. And now here we are in the fourth. We're still nowhere near done. Like it, the, the things that you use for a a GM to telegraph in five E, since you don't have the bloody condition, you say like, how hurt does it look? Is it bleeding? And, If you just look at the HP, yeah, it's bleeding a lot. You know what I mean? It looks like it's about to topple over. Oh, suddenly it completely regenerates.
1: Yeah, it's... hmm. It's a new mechanic. I'll say that. Um, I I think it needs to be used very carefully. I'd I'd be curious to how this plays out for most tables. Uh, I suspect at our table it would be met with consternation and a lot of frustrated players.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean in general, monsters in 5e don't need more hit points. They need to deal more damage, although less so lately, but combats just need to go faster. Like It even calls out, this is for a longer combat. Who yeah. has ever wanted a longer combat in 5e?
1: Yeah, this is this takes your three-round three, three round combat and turns it into a six-round combat against the same monster.
0: Right, it takes your one-session combat and turns it into a two-session combat. Right.
1: Then this is normally where we mention if there is or is not an index. We have no idea because we don't have the printed copy. We're only looking at D&D Beyond, so hopefully they include it. Um, but if they don't, Wouldn't be the first time. (laughs) No, not at all.
0: Uh, A note about the art. A lot of the art in this book is really, really good. I'm pretty sure that's because it's, it's from magic cards and they, uh, (laughs) they get much better art than
1: D and D usually does. They do. There are also a decent number of maps that are included. Um, Each of the uh, gods has like an example area where you might have a, an encounter with them or their minions or whatever uh these are mostly fine i think they're much more useful in DD beyond version because you can pull them down and actually like use them um they're not so useful like they're complicated maps they're not so useful to recreate out of a book like a printed copy you know like redrawing caverns is not going to get you the effect you're looking for you need the digital version of this map to get value out of it so it's great in DD beyond it's probably less useful um in other places
0: all right, so now's the time where we talk about whether our listeners should buy this book. Shane, is this a buy or a pass?
1: Eh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't, if it sounds interesting, sure. Um, I don't think this adds a whole lot that it's like, oh, this is the D&D book. It's, you know, what, a month, six weeks after Wildemount, Um, like coming out with a brand new setting. You know, it's just like, it's a lot, and it, it doesn't add so much to the game that I feel like this one is mandatory because you're on such a slow drip of 5e anyway. Mm. I prefer this to skag, <laughs> which I said to buy because you have no choice. <laughs> so,
0: Well, low bar.
1: How about you, Ishan?
0: Uh, yeah, this is, a, this is a pass for me, and I say that as someone who has run a campaign set in Ancient Greece. Uh, but if I am going to do that again, I will just use actual Greek myth, right? I don't need all of the reskinning.
1: That's actually the interesting part of this to me is not running Theros. It's unskinning it back to Greece and right. having all the tools <laughs> you need to run it in Greece and run Hellenistic D&D. Um, that's cool. Actually, that's my buy condition for this is, is that because having the more monsters like the, the bestiary that's already sorted for that. I think that makes sense. I'm back into this. I mean, like, who doesn't want to play a
0: Xena warrior princess game, right? Like an actually fighting uh, Ares, Mm -hmm. like a Disney's Hercules. I I would totally do that. Like, let's go beat up Hades. Mm -hmm. But I mean, this book doesn't really give me what I need. I have actual Greek myth to to do that. And in terms of the mechanics, there are some interesting things here. You know, Piety is kind of interesting, but I could also get that in Renown or I could come up with it on my own mythic actions of course are interesting but none of those ideas are going to stay in this book they're going to show up somewhere else and so I'll just I would just wait until I see them there and and they probably will be a bit more refined
1: I am lazy enough that I would say it's probably worth the 30 dollars at least for the digital version to just get all of those um like piety paths built for you for the 15 gods that anybody of your Players actually knows anyway um they track close enough that like yeah poseidon works like i can use NASA <laughs> as, po- as poseidon great
0: all right so there we go
1: sort of by
0: <laughs> i'm i'm a pass so okay <laughs> uh, I, we're we're 50
1: 50 it's 50 50 something
0: hey if, okay. if you're gonna buy it go do it at your local game store
1: yeah do that all right let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us we do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N dangerous.
0: And you can tweet at Eshan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat.
1: And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast.
0: You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com.
1: And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrill.com.
0: Or also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill.
1: You can also join the conversation on Discord. There is a link in the show notes. Uh, we also want to thank our Patreon supporters.
0: Yeah, because your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all our rewards at patreon.com slash totalpartythrill.
1: You can also leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It is a great way to support the show for free and help other people find us. If you do that, we will read your review on the air.
0: Just like this one, five stars from Jeff, a.k.a. Krieg. Must listen. I started listening two years ago and have gone through the entire library. Intelligent and fun.
1: I think they opened up reviews to mobile and that has made everything much easier. <laughs> <laughs> huge, huge, huge influence uh, on the length of our five-star reviews. I love it. All right, what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are
0: talking about support characters.
1: And in the character creation forge, we're building the accomplice. Well, that's it for episode 255 of Total Party Throw. I hope you lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane.
0: And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.
1: party thrill is brought to you this week by cobalt press
0: empire of the ghouls is an underdark campaign for levels 1 to 13 the matching underworld players guide includes new playable races from darrow to dark trollkin to drow to mushroom folk plus new spells subclasses and backgrounds
1: and the underworld lairs book includes standalone underdark adventures for characters level 3 to 14
0: the whole package is available now from cobaltpress.com or on roll 20 and fantasy grounds for online play
1: You can find out more at www.cobaltpress.com and tell them DSPN sent you.